All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, put a marker there, Matthew chapter 7, and then flip over to John chapter 3. Matthew 7, then flip on over to the right to John uh, chapter 3. Uh, last week we started a new series uh, called Game Changer. And uh, I, I asked you a question of who's in charge. That was the first game-changing question of who's in charge of, of your life. Uh, this week, and, and remember I told you last week that uh, in this series I'll have a game-changing question that I'll put out there. And so uh, this week's question of, um, of a game-changing question is the title of this message, uh, Have You been born again? Have you been born again? Now, uh, before you dismiss this message uh, as being uh, for someone else, because this is an evangelistic salvation message, but before you do, I want to invite everybody in this room, if you'll just, if you'll just agree with me, that we'll, do, we'll take a scriptural challenge, okay? And um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he, he asked the Corinthians church, he said, uh, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Take a moment and examine yourself. Test yourself, he says, and surely you know that Jesus Christ is in you. And if not, if you find not, then you have failed the test of genuine faith. So there's a, a test before us. One of the most important questions that anyone could ask themselves, I believe, is, have I truly been born again? So we don't use that phrase much anymore. Um, I've heard some people say before that it's an outdated phrase. Uh, that be born again. I've heard people say that it really doesn't make sense in the context of our culture anymore. Uh, it sounds weird, so it's kind of a turn off. Uh, as pe people have said, I, I just want to remind you, uh, Jesus is the one who said, you must be born again. Amen. He's the one who said it. Uh, he said it that way for a reason. There's a reason he said it that way. See, he wasn't speaking then in cultural tones. He wasn't using the language of the day then. It was not a vogue phrase for them then. They, they, were like, they weren't like, mm, okay, I got you. I know what you're saying. It wasn't like that. See, not only do we not say born again anymore, not only do we... Sometimes fail to preach the gospel. We were talking in our staff meeting this week. And uh, we were just kind of talking amongst ourselves about the realization that a lot of churches, they don't even give invitations anymore. They don't even give opportunity for people to receive Christ as their Savior or to make a decision for Christ. The excuse that I've heard personally is, well, we don't want to manipulate anyone. And that sounds like a really good excuse, doesn't it? That sounds very reasonable. There's something that doesn't settle well in my spirit about that excuse. Because if you think about it, manipulation is a form of deception. See, when we use that as an excuse. If you look up the definition of manipulation, by the way, and I, I have a definition, I think, on the screen 
Manipulation is deceptive coercion to control someone to do something that's for your benefit. You see that? Now, it doesn't matter what the manipulation's about, but that's the, that's the definition of manipulation. You're, you're, you're trying to control and use coercion to do something that you need done for whatever, for a personal gain. Now, there are people who will take their form of the gospel, twist it, water it down, present it, and coerce people to respond for whatever reason. That does happen in our churches. It does happen, unfortunately. But I believe that the enemy can use this excuse, we don't want to manipulate. I believe he has used that as an excuse to shut pastors' mouths behind pulpits in our churches. And I need you to hear me say this. There is no manipulation in the question, are you saved? Have you been born again? Or in saying to someone, you need to get saved, you need to be born again. You must be born again. There is no manipulation in those statements. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the opposite of manipulation. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about love and truth and grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's the opposite of manipulation. It's the best thing that could be told for your benefit. Not for mine. Telling someone that they need to be born again is the most genuine and loving and selfless, truthful, honest thing that you could ever do. And if you have a problem with someone saying it or asking that question of you, no matter where you are in your faith journey, if you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with Jesus. You have a problem with the gospel. If someone, and I've been a believer many years, but if someone were to come and say, have you been born again? I would gladly say, hallelujah, yes, I've been born again. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for having the boldness to ask me that question. So unapologetically, I raise the question today, the game-changing question to all of us, have you been born again? Now, there are three truths to this question that I want to think about today. I'm going to ask if you'll stand in the honor of reading of God's Word, and we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we read, and then we're going to get to our passage. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we humble ourselves before you today and we say that we are in desperate need of you. We need you to lead us into truth through your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, every person in this room? If we've been saved for a long time, for a few years, for a few months, for a few weeks, or not at all. I pray that today, somehow, you would show us where we are as we discover what your word says. Now, Lord, I empty myself out before you and before your people. I'd ask you to fill me to overflowing. Do what only you can do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you remain standing? Here we go. Let's read. Actually, I'm going to start. You're in, uh, we're in John chapter 3, but I'm going to start in verse... Um, Chapter 2, verse 23. Just a few verses before, because I just like how this reads. 
So you with me then? Chapter 2, verse 23. Okay. Because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. That's good. Okay. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. In other words, he knew their heart. No one needed to tell him about human nature. For he knew what was in each person's heart. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus. A Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Nick. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? How can that be? See, he didn't understand. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. So, natural birth first, and then the spirit, a spiritual birth. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Don't be surprised by that. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, here's the first truth that you need to know. You must be born again. You must be born again. Now, look back at verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. It says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot sing the kingdom of God. Verse 7, later on down, it says, so don't be surprised when I say this, you must be born again. See, notice Jesus did not say, you should be born again. You ought to be born again. He didn't say that. By the way, the you here is plural. So he's not just talking to Nicodemus in one specific uh, point here. He's not just addressing him and him alone. He's saying, oh, by the way, you, anyone who wants to go to heaven, anyone who wants to be saved, be a part of the kingdom of God, anybody, everybody must be born again. It applies to everyone. Now, here's something that I need you to see from this passage. Nicodemus was not a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He was actually the opposite of a bad guy. Pharisees were some of the most conservative theologians of the day. I mean, they they studied the word. They believed in God. They worshipped God. They read scripture. I was reading the commentary in my Bible, and it even even kind of pointed out in order to be a Pharisee, they had to memorize the first first five books uh, of the Old Testament. I mean, they had to memorize it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All right, now, not only that, all right, now listen, let's just be honest. When we all get to Leviticus and Numbers, when we're reading the Bible through in a year, those are the ones that we just kind of, 
begot, 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 begot. I got you, begot, begot. We kind of skim over those in our, our reading. Now, so not only did they have to memorize it, but then they had to quote it from memory. That's how astute the Pharisees, these religious teachers were. They knew the Bible. They knew it. They were devout. Now, based on what he said, the Jesus in this passage just kind of clues us in on something. It was evident that Nicodemus believed that at least Jesus came from God. Did you catch that when we were reading it? He's like, we, we believe. We, 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 can, we all know you've come from God and you've come to teach us. And he also acknowledged that there was some kind of power that Jesus had that was miraculous power. So at some form, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus understood Jesus was somebody different than just an ordinary man. He knew. He knew there was something different about him. Now, look what he said. Rabbi uh, John 3, 2, he says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God was with you. Now, what's, here, what's amazing about this passage if you think about it? Jesus said to a man that attends church faithfully, he prays, he reads the Bible, memorizes scripture, quotes scripture, tithes, he fasts twice a week, by the way, believes in God and in Jesus. Listen, Nicodemus is so close. So close. He says to him, Nicodemus, you're not going to go to heaven unless you're born again, bro. I know what you do. I know how many times you fast. I know how much you read my word. I know how many times you go to church. I know that you tithe. I know everything about you. I know your heart. And I'm telling you now, you can do all of that. But unless you're born again, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. See, there are a lot of people who mentally believe in Jesus but have never been born again. You acknowledge, you know, you know, you know. There are many, and I use that word on purpose, there are many who have never submitted their lives to the person of Jesus Christ. Many, not few, many. I want you to hear me. You will not be in heaven with Jesus based on your religion or your religious practices. Your, moral, your morals or your religious forms are not enough. They're not enough. You will not go to heaven based on your parents' faith. You might have grown up in a Christian home. You might have been taught. But you can't go, you're not going to heaven based on what they believe. You will not be in heaven based on your belief alone that Jesus is the Son of God. Did you know that? Being born again is not something that we can do to ourselves. We cannot rebirth ourselves. We cannot do that. That is not a work that we can do. All over the New Testament, all over, the idea of being born again pops up, by the way. I just want to read you a few. Just a few. Just three. First uh, Peter 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. We have been born again. James 1.18 says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. Who's the word? Jesus. He gave us birth through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to be born again. Yes or no? He's the only way. 
He's not a way. He is the way. Titus 3.5 says, He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through, via who? The Holy Spirit. And do you know what born again means? If you look that word up, if you even look at a different translation of what Jesus said here, it means to be reborn from above. It means to be spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified. If you were to read that from the Amplified Version, it would say that. It means that the Holy Spirit supernaturally transforms your mind, changes your thinking, and changes the motive of living. The motive of living. And if someone is not born again, he cannot ever see or experience the kingdom of God, neither here nor eternity. Did you catch that, by the way? That's the first truth. You must be born again. Here's the second truth. There are a lot of people who think they are going to heaven that are not. There are a lot of people who think they're going to heaven, but they're not. Now, that's a hard truth to swallow. I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Matthew seven thirteen. he says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the, what's the word? For the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a, what's the word? Few ever find it. Now he brings this into clarity with this passage. Jesus is saying many people are on their way to hell. That's the truth of it. We don't like to say that. But many people are on their way to hell. Few are going to life. Few. That's what he says. So then it would it be a safe conclusion that more people are on their way to hell than to heaven? Is that true? That's a harsh reality. But it is true. See, and I don't know that everybody gets that. I don't know that everybody gets that. Have you ever noticed that when you go to a funeral, it doesn't matter how they lived, especially here in the South, it don't matter how they lived, uh, the preacher will say, well, John is in a better place now. They're in a better place now. And John may have lived like the devil. He may have been a scoundrel. And everybody in the room knows it. Now, there are exceptions, but likely you've never been to a funeral where the pastor has said, the preacher said, Well, we all know that John's in hell. He was a scoundrel, little like the devil, didn't know Jesus, and he's in hell today. It's likely you've never heard that truth. Likely. What is often said is, well, we serve a God of love. That's true. 
We serve a God of grace. That's true. Therefore, we believe that John is in a better place now. That's the lie. That's the subtlety. Two truths and a lie. And we buy it hook, line, and sinker. Now, do you know what Satan, you, you know what I believe Satan does to people who are on the fringe or who don't know better? Do you know, you know what I, I believe that sometimes he says? See, that can breed confusion because Satan and people in funerals like that, they say, hey, well, if he made it, then I can make it. You ever thought about that? And we might think, well, maybe I misunderstood what the Bible says. Maybe I'm, I misunderstood that. Maybe it doesn't matter how I live. God's love and grace will just get me there. You see how that can be so deceptive. See, the enemy takes the truth about God's love and grace and he twists it and he cheapens it and he makes it something that it's not. Listen to me, I'm telling you. And this could be the most loving thing I tell you. If you die today and you have not been born again, you will not be in heaven when you die. And I want you to be. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. But if you have not been born again, you do not know Jesus like I know Jesus. If you have not been born from above, born of the Spirit, you're not saved. You want to talk about God's grace and mercy and love? You want to talk about that? He's extending that now. We're living in a window of God's grace and mercy. We're living in the day. Today, that's why scripture says today is the day of salvation. We have a window. One day it will be too late. The window will close. The Holy Spirit is convincing you now of God's love and His grace that covers sin if you receive His grace. You must receive His salvation and be born again. There are people who think they're saved, but they're really not. That's a reality. Matthew 7.21 says this. Here's how we know that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven... But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now what's the word he starts this next verse with? Many. Many will say to me in that day. Not few. Not few. Many will say to me in that day. Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? Have we not done that? And then I will declare to them... I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. We've never even met. Now notice the argument of the people that he's talking to. Were they drug dealers, murderers, criminals? Was it those people who were saying this? No. Not at all. These are the people who apparently were actively engaged in the work of God, apparently. He said, they said, we prophesied in your name, meaning we taught and we preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did that. We did many wonders in your name. Now, I want you to know Jesus used the word many again. He used the word many that will say that. 
Here's what might, you might not think about or might not want to think about. There, there are more people in churches going to hell than we think there are. Let me ask you a simple question. If many people actively engage in the work of God are not saved, how many people that just attend are not saved? Those who are not actively engaged, how many are not saved? Here's the question that comes to mind. Here's the question. That I, just, I just had to process this through the week. Because when Scripture is so clear... Why are so many people, think that, why do they think they're saved, but are really not saved? Why is there so much confusion around people being born again? Why? Why? I think it's because born again believers and pastors and churches have watered down the gospel so much that they don't want to offend someone with it. See, we care more about being accepted and socially normalized, not offending or making people feel manipulated, that we will poorly explain or compromise the message to make it more, we'll say, palatable and make it as easy as possible for people to say a prayer and adopt a false teaching of salvation. So much so that many do not understand the process of being born again. Do you want to know who is one of the devil's greatest allies, by the way? It's the non-believer who thinks they're a believer. Because the life of a non-believer who proclaims to be a believer is the greatest billboard for impotent Christianity that there has ever been. Because a lost world looks at the life of a professed believer that has no fruit of a believer and thinks to themselves, well, they say they serve a loving, redemptive God, a saving God, but I don't see it. There is no difference in them than me. And the non-believer who thinks they are a believer is so disgusted with Christianity because it ain't working for them. So they walk away from the faith. They walk away from church. We're in this de-church era. Did you know that? And that's why churches are in decline. And Satan says, wow, two birds with one stone. I fooled one to think they are. Got them out. And then I stopped the unbeliever from believing. Yay. I hear people say things like this. You know, I was saved as a child, so I had not really sinned. I didn't change that much. I didn't change that much. And growing up, I really didn't read the Bible that much. Pastor Daniel, I didn't grow. I went off to college or I joined the military and I lived like the devil. I did all kinds of horrible things. I did that. But praise God, I was, I was saved, yes. And the Lord brought me back. Mm-hmm. And then I sold out. I rededicated my life to the Lord and that's when my life changed for me. Now, I've heard that. I've heard that. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. I'm going to be honest, honest, honest with you. I want you to think about it. Where is that scenario in the Bible? That you get saved, there was no change, and then later you rededicate your life and everything changes. Where is that? I'll tell you, you'll be hard-pressed to find that 
example in Scripture because it's not there. Now, can someone rededicate their life to the Lord? Yes, of course they can. Yes, of course they can. I have. Someone can be saved and the Lord change you. And we can stumble in sin because we live in a sinful world. We can. We can stumble in sin. And the Holy Spirit then, what does he do? He convicts us of sin. And we come into agreement with that over sin. We confess and repent of that. And we can turn and we can make a decision to rededicate our lives to the Lord. That's a thing. It can happen. We know that. Praise God. Yes. So there is room for rededication in one's life to the Lord. I want you to hear me say that. You hear me say that loud and clear. There's room for that. But what I'm specifically talking about is someone who never experienced a change in their life with salvation. That's what I'm talking about. Because here's what I know. You do not have an encounter with a holy God and step from darkness and death into light and life without a change in the direction of your heart and your life. You don't do it. I grew up in a Christian home. And we were in church every time the doors were open. In fact, my family were the ones who opened the door. When I was a young child, see, I remember it was revival time. We had revival every year, whether we needed it or not. And uh, I had a revival preacher there one time and Everybody's all, you know, on their best behavior. And the amen corner has all riled up. And, uh, the question came, as it should, do you want to be saved? Now, that question came. Well, my friends, I didn't have many friends. It was a small church, and I wanted friends. So the question came, and the guy asked, do you want to be saved? They raised their hands, so I raised my hand. Like, they did it, I want to do that. And then that pastor, he says, well, well, come down front. Well, my friend scurried on down front, so I scurried on down front. The pastor said, pray this prayer. So I knelt, head bent in my hand, just prayed the prayer. My friends prayed it, I prayed it. Why not? Why not? And then once we said amen, the pastor said, if you prayed that prayer, you're saved. Oh, right. Yay. I may have been five or six years old at the time. I got baptized. They even gave me a Bible. Put the date that I got saved in it. But you want to know the truth? My life didn't change. When I was eight years old, though, here's my testimony. When I was eight years old, something started to nag at me. You know what that something is, don't you? And I couldn't shake this feeling that something was amiss. Something was missing as an eight-year-old boy. But see, I had remembered. I remembered, well, I prayed that prayer when I was five. I'm pretty sure I'm saved. Pretty sure. I'm a pretty good guy. I've made it to eight, stayed out of prison. I'm doing all right. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. There was conviction as an eight-year-old boy. And these questions kept coming to my mind. 
And I remember telling my mom, in fact, I remember telling my mom, see, my family used to travel and sing. So I grew up on the stage singing gospel music my whole life. And I remember we were waiting for one of the the concerts that we were going to be leading in to start. And I remember going to my mom and I told mom, mom, I don't really know. I'm fixing to step on the stage, but I don't really know that if I were to die today that I would be in heaven when I die. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I'm really saved and I have doubts. I was eight years old. We were about to step on stage to sing about Jesus. And you know what my mom said in her wisdom? She said, Daniel, she said, if the Lord is speaking to you, you need to listen to what he's saying. And if you need to do something, that feeling won't go away. He's going to keep knocking. He'll keep knocking. So let's just, let's just hear what the Lord has to say. And throughout the next several days, next several weeks, the thoughts of my eternal destiny as an eight-year-old boy continued to weigh on me. And I was thinking about it. Do you want to know what the greatest hesitation that I had, that I felt as an eight-year-old faced with this potential that I wasn't saved? Do you want to know what that, the greatest hesitation for me was? It was, what will my parents think? What will my church think? What will people think of me? What will they think? I've already prayed. They've already baptized me. They gave me a Bible. They put my name in it. It's got the date. And I had this guilt like I have fooled everyone. Will they be confused? Will they be mad at me? Those are the thoughts as an eight-year-old boy that plagued me, that held me back. Wondering what Christian people, the church folk, would think about me. Because I grew up in the church. Now, it plagued me. Until I got to the point where conviction was so heavy in my life. I got to the point I didn't care anymore. I was so desperate to settle the conviction in my heart. I needed to be sure. I needed to be more afraid of what God would say about me. Than what anybody else would say about me. That's what I needed to be concerned about. Now three days after my ninth birthday. I was sitting in the cab of my dad's pickup truck. When my earthly father led me to surrender my life to a heavenly father. And I was born again that day in the cab of that pickup truck. I can see it like it was yesterday. I will never forget that day. And when I was nine years old, that's when I got saved. That was my spiritual birthday. And on that day... No mistake in my mind, in my heart, everything changed that day. Everything changed that day. Now, some of you today, you might can identify with my story and how I felt. And you might think, well, everybody here thinks I'm saved. What will they think of me? Now, I'm telling you, if you're thinking that and if you're feeling that, that feeling is not from the Lord, by the way. Because no matter what, I'm telling you this, no matter what, if someone here today nails down their eternal salvation with God, everybody here is going to shout glory. Hallelujah. 
No one is going to be put off by your decision to nail down your eternity today. Could you possibly be like me? You were raised in a Christian home and in church every week and the seed was planted at an early age. Praise God the seed was planted. It was conceived in me at an early age. You knew the gig. You know the gig. You know it. You knew the prayer. You had the revival pastor or a student pastor or a children's pastor that made it really easy for you to pray a prayer and ask Jesus in the heart so you don't go to hell. That seed was planted. That's a good thing that it was planted. You were open to the gospel or parts of it were conceived but you were never born again from above. See, I believe that can happen. Those can be conceived, you can be open to it, but you're not born again. Now, you're wrestling with the Spirit's call on your life, and you have doubts, but you're thinking, say, I've already prayed the prayer. Please know today, please know today, don't doubt anymore. Nail it down today. Nail it down today. Now, here's the third truth. You can be sure of your salvation. You can be sure of your salvation. I got snot flying all over the place. I don't know. Tell my story. Now, how can I know that I've been born again? First John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may... What's the word? No. You know what no means? It means to have undoubted assurance. I know that I know that I know, no question, that you have eternal life. Now, here's a realization. There are a lot of people that doubt their salvation. In fact, people might hear a message like this one today, and I, I, uh, people might do this, and they say, well, God, if I'm not saved, save me. If I'm not saved, just save me. Well, now let me tell you why that prayer is unfruitful. Um... You don't get saved by saying, God, if I do need you, then save me. And if I don't need you, then never mind. That's, that's a wrong approach to a holy God when it comes to salvation. Sure, far away, you don't understand what being born again really means. You get saved... Here's the deal, and I want you to listen, every, vo- every ear listening to me right now. You get saved by admitting to God that you're lost and you're on your way to hell. You know you're on your way to hell. And that you need a Savior. And that you agree with Him that Jesus is the only way. And you want to make Him the Savior and ruler of your life. And if you're just honest with him, there's no magic words. It's not. It's by faith. But it's agreeing with God on who he says he is and he did what he said he'd do. And you want to lay your life down and for him to take over and completely change you. And when you come honestly before the Lord, guess what? He picks up and fills all the blanks in for you if you trust him with all your heart. There's a misconception heard this. Well, if you don't remember the date and time you, you're not, if you don't remember that date and time, you're not saved. You heard that? Now here's what I want to say that, to say to that. Um, you might forget the date. God doesn't care if you forget a date. But you'll never forget the event. 
If you've forgotten the date, I don't remember the date. I was young. I don't know. It was a long time ago. You might forget the date. Listen, don't let the enemy lie to you about that. But here's the deal. If you don't remember the event of getting saved, chances are you're not. You don't forget when you got married, your life radically changed at that point because someone moved into you and you had to live differently, right? Everything changed when you get married. You might, men, we might forget the date. And some of you ladies too, I know. Listen, you might forget the date, but you never forget the event, right? Listen, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and moves in with you. You're sharing your life with someone else. And in God's good grace, you're giving up your life for someone else. And your life radically changes. I believe people need to nail this down. If if your life hasn't changed, perhaps you've not been saved. I hear these answers when I ask people, are you saved? And they say, well, um, I I think I am, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I am. I'd, I'd, I'd have to say I am. Or, if I ask, well, when did you get saved? And they'll say, well, that, that's kind of tough to nail down, you know. I mean, that happened when I was five, no, eight. I was baptized. That's a big one I get a lot when I ask people, are you saved? And they'll say, oh, I was baptized. Have you ever heard that? Well, that's not what I asked, but Okay. Maybe it was when that time I was at youth camp. I've, I've, I've prayed a few times to receive Christ. I've heard that a lot too. I've prayed a lot to receive Christ. I've heard that a lot. Now, remember my, if you remember my testimony, I understand that, that people are going to do something sometimes that they fully don't understand. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I, I was exposed to the gospel at an early age. And so I, I, that seed was there. I, I knew some things. And you know what? My parents, in their wisdom, they were like, they didn't stop me. They might have had their doubts about if, I was, if it was genuine. But like, the Lord had me in his hand. Because saving, it wasn't, about, it wasn't my parents' gig. They couldn't control that. It was the, that's the Lord's work. And so there are some times that we do things we don't understand. And you might be where I was. But I'm going to tell you this. The Holy Spirit. It it wasn't long in my life before the Holy Spirit started to work. Listen, when the Holy Spirit starts to do his job. You're hard pressed to stop it. You're hard pressed. And he spoke to my eight year old heart. See I had done something when I was five or six. But then the Holy Spirit started doing his work eight. Five or six that experience didn't stop me from eight. See what I'm saying? And I knew that I wasn't saved. I knew it. And that I needed to get saved. And that's when I got saved. And I got saved. Everything changed. Now, I had a Christian morality. So a lot of my external behaviors didn't have far to go as an eight-year-old boy. Okay? But here's what changed. And when we talk about changing, here's what changed. My desires radically changed. See, God did a miracle in my life. And I knew I needed to give him control. And we'll brush off and we'll accept these vague statements about our salvation. But if you were to ask me, Pastor Daniel, are you married? And I were to say, well, mm, 
I think, I think I am. Yeah, I'd say that I'm married. Now, what would you think if I answered you that way? There's something wrong with me. You'd think there's something wrong with that answer, wouldn't you? There's something off there, Daniel. Right? Or if you were to ask me, Pastor Daniel, when did you get married? Ah, oh, well, that's a tough one for me. I don't know. That might have been I was 18, no, 20. I, was, I said I do something long in there. I did it. See, you'd think I was confused, right? That's why I think a lot of people are confused about their salvation. Because they don't understand what being born again means. When you get saved, the responsibility of change is not on you. It's on God. God does the changing. The responsibility that we have is giving God control. And if you don't give God control of your life, you won't change. You can't make the change. You just have to be saved. And God makes the change in your life. You give Him your life. And when you give him control, he changes you. That's what he does. He changes you. Now, we, yes, we grow and we learn and we start our journey, our walk as infants into maturity. It's a word, a big word called sanctification. And it'll never be complete until one day we're face to face with Jesus and we're whole in his sight. See, we live in a sinful, broken world. We'll always be subject to sin. But when you're saved, there's a change that happens on the inside. Now, I want to give you one final illustration and then I'm done. Every one of us are born going the wrong way. Every one of us. We don't even have to tell our children... Um, to be bad, it comes naturally to them. Do you know that? <laughs> Actually, the truth is, we're all born going toward hell. That's the truth. Now, growing in, up in a Christian home, my parents taught me right from wrong. And I wanted to go the right way. Some of it because I wanted to please my parents. I was young. I wanted to do that. That's natural. But I was going the wrong, we were all going the wrong way. And I wanted to go the right way. Say, this is the wrong way. And say, that's the right way. We're all going this way. But I couldn't go the right way even if I tried. See, I'd catch myself and think, oh, I need to do right. I need to go the right way. And so I'd try to do that, and I, I got to do the right thing. And, 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 but if the pressure, for some reason, ever got let off, either by me or by my parents or some external influence, because I, was, I, was, I would just swing back to the wrong way, because that's the natural polarity of our hearts as unbelievers. We're polarized to go that way. And when I was nine, I said, God, I'm not playing games with you anymore. I'm going to give my life to you. But I can't do this on my own. I can't go that way on my own. I need you to do this. And that's the moment that the Spirit of God came into my life and flop. He changed the polarity of my heart. 
to now where I am facing the right way because of the blood of Jesus, right? I'm facing the right way, going the right way. And then what happens now is when you're going the right way, sin might come to distract you and it might turn. Sometimes we might turn and we might be walking the wrong way for a little bit, but that's not the polarity of our heart. And the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you and says, hey, you're going the wrong way. 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 And when we repent, when we agree, yes, I'm going the wrong way and I need your help to go back through repentance. Because that's the way we go now. That's the change, see. That's the change. See, before I'm saved, my default is this way. That's my default. When the Holy Spirit came in, the moment I'm born again, my heart default changed to a different direction. Now, here's what I'm asking you today. When did your direction change? When did the Holy Spirit flip the polarity of your heart? When? When did the default of your life shift? When did you say to God, God, I want to give you full control of my life, and God changed your heart? When did that happen? When did that happen? And if that has never happened, if you're not sure that that's ever happened... Why not nail it down today? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Because your eternity depends on this game-changing question. Have you been born again? Bow with me. Hard message I don't apologize for. I'm only sorry if you've never heard the truth. Now, I didn't say many, Jesus said many. Many people are going to hell. I didn't say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I didn't say not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that. He's the one who said that. And so what's your, not to my message, what's your response to Jesus' words? What's your response to Jesus today?